1: on pilgrimage in Lourdes, France, with the Order of Malta. And uh, I'm joined now with one of our guests we've had several times before. Uh, and he's, he comes back because not only is he good, but the price is right. And we really appreciate him sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe with us and his father, Richard Mullins. Father Mullins, welcome.
0: So nice to be with you and having a wonderful latte here. That's what's Lourdes. so
1: good about France. You Absolutely. Know, even the bad coffee is fantastic. Indeed, right? yeah, the cheap stuff. Father Mullins is a pastor of Saint Thomas the Apostle Catholic Church in Washington D.C., and he's also a member of the Oratorian community of Saint Philip Neri, an Oratory formation. You're on your way. That's correct. That's awesome. And we've done a show about Philip Saint Philip Neri, and we've also done talking about what it what that that Oratory business was. So you can go to our website, thecatholiccafe.com. You can go to the Listen page, and you can uh, just search for. Uh, if you search for Mullins or if you search for Philip Neary, you will find that particular show.
0: I love my name and St. Philip Neary in the same sentence. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, but
1: he called and said, stop it. I don't know this, <laughs> his agent. Or I don't somebody. know this man, and I wish he would stop <laughs> using my name. Well, you know one of the neat things, Father Mullins, is that uh, as, as we're on pilgrimage, one of the beautiful things that we do here in Lourdes on pilgrimage is we have beautiful liturgies. We have beautiful masses. We have beautiful opportunities uh, every day. And it's a different place. Now, some mm-hmm. are more beautiful than others. We'll just say that. Uh, you know, the 1950s and 60s were not very nice to some <laughs> places. But.
0: Well, the name of that architecture, that architectural style is Brutalism. Is it really it? Yes, that's it, it's called brutalism. So it's it's just named for what it is. Sometimes brutal.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: But you know there are so many beautiful places too.
1: Oh, gorgeous! Just absolutely gorgeous places. But the, but the liturgies themselves, uh, they're, they're, they're so beautiful. And mm. I and you are uh, you've got a like a role on this particular pilgrimage as a, um, I guess are you, pil- uh, pilgrimage chaplain or. I, is that the.
0: Yes, I'm the lead chaplain for the federal association, and so that puts me in contact with the, the people who organize the masses and we take care of right. the liturgical functions and so forth and now assign when the ministries.
1: When you say you're the lead chaplain, you're only in the lead until you turn around and realize there's no one following you, so just always keep looking up your stuff. That's shoulder. a very good
0: point. That reminds me of that old line about until you're the lead sled dog, the view never changes.
1: <laughs> very good. So I don't know if chaplaincy is the same thing as that, but we'll, 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 that's another show altogether. <laughs> but you've been involved in, in organizing all these liturgies, especially. Right. You know, and I just thought, like, as I'm watching you, you know how, like, the MCs and people kind of, they float? It's a very beautiful sort of kind of uh, supernatural thing where there's, like, you don't see their feet move, and they just kind of float here and there uh, and, and make their way around all of the uh, sacred space there. Uh, and and so I think like you, you're thinking a lot about what has to be done and what's what should or shouldn't be done and what's next and you've got cardinals and archbishops and bishops and certainly monsignori and a, a and even a few deacons you know causing trouble now and again.
0: Yes, we actually appear to float because we're really on skateboards underneath our albs. That's awesome. I'm sure they they give you those at the seminary if you're getting <laughs> you're, you're in this
1: line. You're being prepared for before that so I guess let's, if we did a show uh, let's just have a conversation about liturgy itself sure. and, and, and why it's so important and why it is that you've got to um, you've, you've got a set of you know sort of guidelines as it were that Indeed. you're supposed to follow and why that's important because I know a lot of people who in their ordinary parish life will look up there and go like well why is father wearing a clown nose or <laughs> hopefully we don't see
0: that don't wear a clown nose. That is bad, bad, bad uh, at mass. You can wear it. it during the day. <laughs> if you're not going to wear it to the grocery store, don't wear it at mass.
1: That's, it's in the rubrics, I think. Yes. It says you can wear this in the grocery store. So, uh, but anyway, why is, why is Father doing it this way? And why does Father so-and-so do it that way? Father so-and-so does it. So there's also obviously some kind of uh, little uh, maybe it's a leniency or just a little wider berth. In some things, but then not others. And um, wh- where do all those instructions come from first?
0: So we have sort of a cookbook. Ah. Uh, and it's called the General Instruction of the Roman Missal. Right. And that gives us point by point ways on how priests are supposed to say Mass because, you know, the word Catholic means universal. Mm. And so we have people all over the world. Uh, we have priests all over the world. And we want to make mass, normative, or the same, in different places. And we do that by following the rules. And we follow the rules because there is a right way to do things.
1: Yeah, and and uh, so these rules that are laid out, uh, a lot of Catholics don't always realize the great benefit that they have. Um, there was one time I went to Hong Kong on a on a business trip earlier in life, and I was there over a weekend, and I didn't know how to find a mass there, other than you know I, I I searched and found a church, and I didn't realize I'd found the only the the, the only availability I had was that it was in Chinese. So, but uh, it's like uh, I was able to follow along, and the reason I was able to follow along was because they were doing the same mass, they were speaking differently, right? And there and there are some small traditional differences, you know, that are inherent to that particular diocese. But the reality is I was able to follow along, participate, and fully receive the, the graces that would come. I just didn't understand how they were being spoken to me, but receiving those same graces because of those rules.
0: Yes, absolutely, that we have a certain rhythm to the Mass. And it's, it's beautifully structured that first we, we begin as we begin all things that are important and prayerful to us. We begin with the sign of the cross. Mm. And then there's the greeting the Lord be with you. All right. In the case of a bishop, peace be with you, quoting right. quoting our Lord. And then we have the penitential act and we recall our sins, and we right. call to mind our sins and we offer our contrition to the Lord and then we, if it's Sunday, then we have the Gloria. Right. If it's not a penitential season, we have the great ancient hymn of, of the Gloria, and then the opening prayer, first reading, usually taken from the Old Testament, the psalm, the beautiful psalms of David, beautiful prayers of the church. And then we have the second reading, which is very often taken from uh, the writings of St. Paul, usually one of the New Testament, uh, uh, usually one of the uh, New Testament letters. And then we have uh, the Holy Gospel mm-hmm. proclamation of the Gospel so that's where the deacons come in very handy yeah it's nice to have them indeed they can read the gospel if they can read indeed yeah. and they can even give the homily afterwards right occasionally occasionally the, 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 that a general instruction tells us the, the deacon preaches occasionally. occasionally so how is occasionally for you how often do you preach in your parish well
1: our pastor likes to do like the once a month thing. So like the third weekend is typically deacon weekend.
0: That's exactly what it is in my parish. Yeah. So then after we
1: have this wonderful homily, what goes on next is more to the mass, right?
0: So then after that we have the Creed, if it right. is Sunday. Very often parishes have the prayers of the faithful. Mm-hmm. So often called the universal prayers right. or the petitions. And then after that we go into the offertory. And then the Eucharistic prayer. Then we have the uh, concluding doxology, the Our Father, Lamb of God, closing prayer. Right. And then everyone goes and has uh, coffee and donuts downstairs. Yes, that's nice. I think that's in the general instruction. The It probably is in there somewhere. It probably is in there
1: somewhere. Uh, Now, if you're not Catholic, you can sometimes have the coffee and donuts during the service, right? I've heard that. I've
0: heard that that there are some churches that have like coffee bars in them.
1: All that aside, so you listed all these things and I think most of our listeners who've been to mass several times go like, "Okay, so that's great. So Father just listed all these things we do." You know, why did it take him to do that? You know, it's like I don't think people realize that, you know, our 2000-year-old church, we you know, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't say, "Oh, by the way, Here's a, a PDF I, I got for you guys, you know, and emailed it to everybody and said, this is what I want the Mass to look like. Mm-hmm. But this developed it over did. a
0: long time. Yes, we have to remember always that the first church was in the catacombs in Rome. Yeah. And then the early Christian communities in, uh, in the Holy Land and in Asia Minor and so forth. But it was mostly in the Roman Empire and so underground or hidden and so that's part, of, that's part of our history. And right. we do certain things because of that. So we have relics in the altar mm-hmm. because so very often in the early church that masses were said in the catacombs right, on the tombs of the martyrs. Isn't that something? And so we continue that tradition 2,000 years later. Right.
1: That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I, you don't think about things like that. And I, I would imagine that... Uh, when those first masses were taking place, I would imagine that if it were just left on its own initiative, right they would all end up being different. Everybody would go off and say, "We like to do it like this over here. we use an accordion for music or or we we, we do this or or our uh, the material that we uh, that we consecrate and we use doritos over here in this or church or we things could become different, and yet they didn 't and I think because there was a great desire early on to to to, um, to jealously guard the the words uh, that
0: Jesus spoke right and this what is happened. my body right. this is my blood
1: because when saint paul yes. writes about that that's really what 30 20 30 years after the time and so you so correct. he's quoting things that happened 20 or 30 years ago and so it tells you that they they cared deeply about exactly what happened in, in doing it that same way. And so I'm sure they also listened intensely to the to the apostles and to those who were in the know so that they would make sure they maintain some kind of uh, uniformity. Yes. Right? And you mentioned this is a universal church. And imagine going to a church somewhere else that it purports to be Catholic, and they do a totally different thing over there.
0: That's right. And the church, the mass was codified pretty early on, and we have some of these great ancient sacramentaries. We have the Gelasian sacramentary, for instance, of Pope Gelasius, uh, the, and we have... He also uh, was
1: like the patron saint of, of gelato, I think, also. Is that... No, maybe that's not right. Oh, that's good. Then we should have that on his
0: feast day. <laughs> oh, Lord, open my lips. Amen. Amen. Uh, that my mouth shall proclaim your the glory of your good. ice cream. Indeed. But yes, you know... It, that uh, we look back to the early church and we see many of our traditions come from there. But the important thing is that we do the same thing that we know that we can go to Africa. We can go to Hong Kong, like uh, Mm -hmm. where you were and the language may be different, but we see the flow of the mass is exactly the same. And we have that, uh, we have that continuity with the early church. Mm. And then we also have that similarity and That's beautiful. Um, we're
1: talking to Father Richard Mullins about liturgy, uh, where, where and why it's so important. Um, and uh, we're going to continue this conversation about liturgy and, and uh, its history and, and why we care about what happens at Mass. In just a second, want to take a break. But before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website. It's thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, We'll be right back.
2: I'm Bess Droszemski, and this is another great moment in church history. The excommunication of Queen Elizabeth I by Pope Pius V in 1570 was the beginning of a terrible persecution of Catholics in England, a bloody era of martyrdom that lasted from the late 1500s into the mid-1600s. No Catholic was safe during this time, and not just in England. The persecution soon spilled over into Ireland as well. Many Irish Catholics were martyred because they refused to renounce their Catholic faith and their allegiance to the Holy Father in Rome. There were many holy and faithful Catholics martyred in Ireland during this time. Among them, Bishop Dermot O'Hurley, Archbishop of Cashel, Who was tortured and hanged for his Catholic faith as he refused to assist the English in gathering information about an uprising of Irish nobles. Bishop Patrick O'Healy, the Franciscan Bishop of Mayo, was arrested and martyred after preaching his last sermon reasserting papal authority. Father Con O'Rourke was a Franciscan priest who gave his life to fight off repression of the church by the English. Other clergy martyred, were Bishop Terence Albert, Bishop of Emily, Ireland, and fathers Maurice McKenredy, Dominic Collins, Connor O'Devany, Patrick O'Lowbrain, Peter Higgins, John Kearney, and William Terry. There were also many lay men and women who were martyred at this time as well. Matthew Lambert, an uneducated baker who simply believed what the Catholic Church taught, Robert Myler, Edward Sheavers and Patrick Cavanaugh, all Catholic sailors who refused to denounce the church teachings, Margaret Ball, a Dublin housewife who gave priests sanctuary during these difficult times, and Francis Taylor, elected Lord Mayor of Dublin, but soon imprisoned and martyred for his Catholic faith. All these Irish men and women fought bravely for their Catholic faith. Their martyrdom stands as a testament to religious freedom and the ultimate victory that comes from the cross. Now more than ever, as we continue to face difficult social and moral challenges to the teachings of the Catholic Church, we must remember the ultimate price paid by these Irish martyrs and not let their deaths be in vain. At their beatification, Pope St. John Paul II said, we admire them for their personal courage, their fidelity, which is more than an example. It is a heritage of the Irish people and a responsibility to be lived up to in every age. I'm Bess Draczynski, and this is another great moment in church history.
0: Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff.
1: And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff,
0: and I'm sitting with Father Richard Mullins. Such a blessing to be with you today.
1: So we're talking about the liturgy and the importance Mm -hmm. of the liturgy and the universality of our church. And I guess we should, you know, you talked about the, uh, the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which is, it's really those pages at the beginning of that big fat book that, the, the portal altar servers haul around
0: it's point by point it tells you exactly how everything right. should be done so there's no guessing
1: some people call it the germ they like to say the g-i-r-m yes. they like to pronounce it German. and I remember one particular woman who mispronounced it all the time as the grim and for some people I think it might be a little grim <laughs> <laughs> to have the, have rules to follow but it's so, the instruction manual yeah but it's good to have instructions indeed I mean, right now guys don't always like to follow instructions I've put some things together on Christmas morning that I probably should have spent a little more time with the instructions and it ended up being a nightmare because I didn't pay attention to the
0: instructions. That's right, <laughs> that's right. And sometimes we think, well, maybe it's better to put the seat on the bicycle you know, somewhere else, but then it's going to be awfully uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> exactly
1: right. Now I'll tell you uh, when 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 the the general instruction was promulgated when it when it like came out of Rome. It's like was it just all of a sudden in all these different magical languages? You know, like all of a sudden it was just. Uh, how where, how does how does that happen, and how do you keep that universal?
0: So the, the lingua franca, if you will, that the, the official language of the church is Latin. Right. And what is very distressing is people say, oh, well, the church did away with Latin. It's a dead language. Yeah, it's very much the living language of the church in that, aside from the liturgy, all of the documents are written in Latin. They're mm. all translated into Latin, and then they're sent out to the different languages. Right. So when the Holy Fa- Father writes a document, it is promulgated in Latin, and then it is translated into, for instance, English or French or German, and it is a vital part of the church even outside of the liturgy. Right. In the liturgy, Latin means that people who speak a variety of different languages can come together around one sacred language. Right. And you know, the Orthodox, they don't have their mass in Greek or Russian. They have it in the Slavonic, which to them is a sacred language. Wow! And uh, yeah, there are man, many different religions in the world that have a sacred language. And so our sacred, sacred Latin, our sacred language, is Latin, and we retain parts of that in the liturgy.
1: And there's parts like uh, sometimes uh, we'll do the the Sanctus, the Holy, 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 right? Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus. Dominus uh, Deus, sabot. You know, and a lot of times we don't. We think like, oh, they're doing the, you know, you, oh, we got some kind of uh, stuck-up choir director, and he likes to do this Latin stuff, and people seem sometimes seem to be put out. And I, I've always looked, when I didn't understand it first, and I did a little research, it just to me it was like, wow, this unifies us, and, and we see this yes. when we go when I when when I go overseas, right? So we're in Lourdes, France, and amazingly, I'm watching some of. The, um, uh, some of the responses and things we're doing, and we're doing them in Latin, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're all saying the same thing.
0: That's right, and it's wonderful to go to St. Peter's and one of those places and to think, I can participate. Right. I didn't learn any of the Latin Mass until much later, mm-hmm. and it was wonderful to go as a pilgrim to Rome and to be able to pray allowed alongside people from all around the world.
1: Yeah, there's a unifying feature to that which is kind of beautiful to see. And then also the fact that things are promulgated in Latin means that they're coming from the same source. So you don't want to translate the English from the French from the Ger- from the French from the German from the Italian from the you know because things get lost in translation.
0: That's correct. At first we have the the original copy in the Latin and then it is translated. And we're very lucky that we have a wonderful Roman Missal from 2011 that was translated very beautifully and directly from Latin. The previous translation was a paraphrase, it was what was called dynamic fluency.
1: Yeah, that's where we get, like, the Lord be with you. Also with you, Father. You yes. know, we get that sort of like what what, what we think people might. Translate it like or understand it when really it now with this and with your spirit it's such a mo. We're, we're talking about the Holy Spirit here, and, and that's
0: what other languages use. So, the Spanish and the French they still so say forth, spirit. they would say with your spirit, and then we in the in English were are saying and also with you, and so the dynamic equivalent was neither dynamic nor equivalent.
1: <laughs> so they fixed all that in 2011, and so
0: they restored it, and so. Uh, now we have a restored theological vocabulary to the liturgical texts. And so when we have that, when we have these words, then we understand the meaning better. When we understand the meaning better, we're being better catechized in the mass.
1: Yeah, I it think that's beautiful. Well, and we miss the point, I think, sometimes. Because uh, maybe we should take just a minute now and, and just talk about, like, you know, what's wrong with, with innovation? What's wrong with making some changes or, you know, I, I, I have the, uh, the honor of standing next to the priest, you know, to assist him, uh, especially at the altar. It's just a beautiful thing. And, but I also have the unfortunate view of the missile. I'm reading along and I'm going like, Father just said something different than what's written there. What, what becomes the problem when you innovate that way?
0: So it takes away from the universal component. It removes us from that unifying factor. And it becomes more about the priest maybe It's his mass, right? It's his version. As entertaining the crowd rather than it being a single unifying prayer because the mass should be a prayer with a particular formula. And so we all know the Our Father, and that is such a precious prayer because our Lord himself right. gave us. And so we have one translation for that, for that Our Father. And we can start adding other things, but then it changes it. And maybe it's the meaning that we want, you know, our Father who art in New Jersey, Yeah. <laughs> hallowed be thy name. Well, maybe that's great for the people of New Jersey, but it's not great for anyone else. right? And so, you know, we keep the integrity of that prayer. And we do the same thing with the Mass. We keep the meaning. And people may feel drawn, priests may feel drawn to change words and so forth. But then, firstly, they are doing a radical disservice to the people in the pews right because they're creating a spirit of disunity they think that maybe they're being folksy or fun or clever or entertaining what they're doing is they're altering a formula of prayer that is done in the same way well and then people died
1: people died for i mean ultimately you know there's there's The church is built on the blood of the martyrs, right? And they died died for this reason, whether it's the creed or whatever. And to change those things kind of dishonors their memory to a certain degree.
0: You know, the new translation, the 2011 translation, really brought out ideas of sacrifice Mm. that had been lost to the dynamic equivalency and penance. So two very important concepts, because the mass is a sacrifice. And we have to keep that language in there to remind us right. And when we say it, and when we call it the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, we're reminded it is the continuing sacrifice.
1: And, it's, and, it's, and, and that part had sort of like disappeared, and it was merely, uh, you know, gathering around the table of the Lord, right? That's it's like dinner time, supper time with Jesus, and that's, that's nice, and it still is that. But to remember that sacrifice is so vitally important to what the experience is that we're actually having at the
0: Mass. Yes, that I know a few people who've walked away from the Catholic Church— because of changes in the mass, that they felt that it just lost its meaning, and so then they just slowly fell away from their faith.
1: You know what? And I've known, uh, being involved in RCI people that are drawn to the Catholic faith, right, because of the beauty of the, the the sacredness of the of the liturgy itself. Absolutely, right. So that's why I look at that and go, like, you know, we need to stick to the text, right, and Absolutely. that uniformity. That's why liturgy is so important that we. We remind ourselves that we are, we are one uh, in the body of Christ, one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. All these ones in our, in our experience. And, w- and when we start the deviations, they start small, like just one little degree on the ship's wheel. You do that every once in a while, but you're thousands of miles off course after a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can be dangerous when it comes to liturgy especially.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the new things that the n- new missile brought in, too— was a renewed sense of music this this missile has more music than any other missile previously there's so
1: chance written for so many of them
0: all that gregorian chant all that beautiful tradition and so today uh, the deacon and i were at mass we were at mass and there was a lot of chanting mm-hmm. that archbishop vigneron who said the mass was right. chanting so beautifully and so that even makes the mass more sacred there right. are more opportunities to do that because we we sing the Mass and we make it more sacred and more reverent, anything that we can do to make the Mass a more reverent experience, it draws us closer into the mystery, it makes it more of a prayer for us. We don't want to create a distraction. We don't want the Mass to be a a circus or a show or entertainment, we can turn on the TV anytime. We want that to be our time with the Lord, our time of prayer, our time of catechesis, our time with Him. United to Christ in the Eucharist.
1: Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Thank you so much, Father Mullins, uh, for helping us, taking us down a little trip down Liturgy Lane, as it were. Such a pleasure to be with you again. <laughs> awesome. And so we are going to uh, we're going to close out. We're in uh, Lourdes, France, and so Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, let's uh, let's ask for her intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy
0: Holy Mary, Mother Mother of God, pray pray for for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com.